I can visualize a situation where there is an advanced directive and maybe there's a sibling who says, I don't agree with that. It just seems to me that this could be a horrible situation that would just blast a family apart. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. I also lead a caregiver support group in my local community. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I am a certified caregiver advocate. And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we're going to focus on the caregiver. We're going to offer our practical insights and share some emotional support. Maybe we'll even share a few laughs along the way because we all know that laughing is, in fact, the best medicine. Don't forget the wine, Mike. No, you know I never forget the wine. So, Mike, um, I remember when your dad first came to live with us, we had some issues about needing a power of attorney and a health directive and that kind of thing. Do you remember that? I sure do, and I also remember how... Uh, we were very, very lucky because as soon as he came to live with us, he was very, very adamant about doing a power of attorney and also doing his advanced medical directive because he had so much trouble when my grandmother was alive. And then after she passed, those things weren't in place and, and he had a lot of trouble. So he didn't want us to have the same burden as he had after the fact. And I became aware of our of our today's guest, um, through the caregiver support group that I lead, and a number of the people in there have, know Rory and recommended him um, as someone who can talk about this issue. Uh, Rory is the founding manager of Legacy Elder Law Center, and he has more than 30 years of experience in elder law, estate planning, asset protection, and special needs planning experience. And Rory, I understand you also have some personal experience as a caregiver. So welcome to our show. Hi, Rory. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Bobby. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So you want to tell us a little bit about the experience you had as a caregiver before we get into the elder law? Well, sure. That's actually, uh, they're they're kind of related. Um, you know, I started practicing in the 1980s as a, an estate planning lawyer, and uh, estate planning lawyers help people, you know, with end-of-life issues, making sure the property gets the right place, avoiding probate. But uh, somewhere along the way, people started asking a question that, that was different. It used to be, hey, Rory, do I need a plan? What if something happened to me and I died? It became, what if something happened to me and I didn't die? And while that was happening at the office, at home, certain things were starting to happen. And in 1994, my uh, son was born uh, with multiple uh, issues. Ultimately, autism was found to be the, the big one. Um, my sister was diagnosed with colon cancer at 55. My mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and had a 14-year journey. And my father had Alzheimer's that lasted uh, 11 years. And then my youngest son developed an autoimmune disorder. He's 22 now and blind in one eye. And that's not suggesting I deserve any particular sympathy for that. But every single one of those is a little different kind of a a need requiring a different kind of support and help from a caregiver. And, of course, they each have a different impact on the person who is the caregiver. 
some is just sort of mild support and encouragement and others is just, you know, doing what's necessary to help keep a person safe for sure. And, and that kind of is the essence of uh, elder law is the real union of how tools can help not just people with a need, but whole families that are trying to face a tough, tough, tough situation together. So um, in addition to being able to provide people with the legal information that they need, you can also offer them some understanding and compassion. So you can tell, can you tell our listeners what is an elder law attorney and how are they different from an estate planning lawyer? I sure can. So an elder law lawyer really is, uh, we focus on the decade or two or three before end of life. Um, I call us life planning lawyers, helping people get the kind of support uh, that they want. Uh, Frankly, help them retain control when it, it can be a challenge and help them negotiate a lot of circumstances that are really new. You know, in the history of the world, caring for children with special needs or parents was just done an old-fashioned way. You know, the family sucked it up and dealt with it. I think for a long time, uh, kids with disabilities uh, died early, uh, and our parents uh because of health reasons, you know, didn't last long. And so we didn't pass down from generation to generation a whole lot of personal experience about how to be supportive and, frankly, how to balance it and keep ourselves, you know, healthy and sane and, and, and take care of all the rest of the things we need to do. I think there's still lives. a lot of that going on. People don't understand what well, it's like. I call it the perfect storm. You know, there have been things happening in the last 25 years that have never happened in the history of the world before. Uh, aging population, shrinking number of children. The doctors are doing a great job of helping us live longer. And, and for many people, that doesn't mean a nice, smooth sail to the horizon. Uh, it means that you're now living long enough to have the opportunity to get dementia. That was my father's you know, story. He never expected that he would make it to 94. His father died at 65, had a heart attack, and died before they left the hospital. And that's what he thought his future was. And he got to learn on the job uh, about how to deal with that and take care of a wife who was declining because of Parkinson's disease. Um, Our our kids aren't available uh, to take care of us uh, unless they quit a job, you know, the economy now requires pretty much most every both both couple both in a couple to work just to pay the high cost of living or we want to work um, and and the idea of how to balance keeping food on the table and raise your own kids while you're taking care of an elder is what, how do we look to our parents and grandparents and see what they did you know when I look to my mom and what she did. There were two periods in our family life where she became the caregiver for each of my grandmothers once in 1970 for four months when my dad's mom was diagnosed with cancer. She passed and then life went back to normal. And then 12 years later, my mother's mother was diagnosed with cancer. She came to live with us. I got moved to the basement. Mom was her caregiver <laughs> for six months. <laughs> the kids and then table. she passed. <laughs> 
I got my room back and life went back to normal again. And that's not happening. You know, um, uh, Alzheimer's has an average run of eight to 10 years. And this old notion, which I think is really very human, you know, we love and we can, I say, suck it up. You know, you could do almost anything for a month or right. two. I mean, I remember that's how I got through the bar exam. But, you know, <laughs> after a year or two or three or ten, uh, wow. It becomes really burdensome. So I, I have a kind of a little follow-up question. We talked about elder law being prior to end of life, a decade or so before end of life, and estate planning being what happens afterwards. Is it typical that that is one and the same like you have been, or is it typically two different professions, for lack of a better word? areas of law? Yeah. Um, Mike, that's a really good question, uh, because I, I am often asked by a, a, a client or a person I have a conversation with, well, how come I haven't heard about this from you know the, the lawyer who did my will or who helped us when my father died, or maybe even my financial advisor. And the the point here is, it, it not only is new and a developing area of the law, but it really is a specialty. So I often describe it to people uh, using an analogy to their doctors that people get almost immediately. Uh, we all have, you know, very competent family doctors. We respect them. They're very good at what they do. Uh, but they're capable of covering a broad range of things. But if we get a special diagnosis, you know, cancer or heart disease or something like that, we go off to see a specialist who knows absolutely the latest research, the latest techniques, and is used to every day dealing with sort of the pointy edge of the sword, the point, you know. So in, so in the case of your business, if, or, you know, if there is a diagnosis, what is the first thing that you have on your list to address? I understand that some people don't understand the limits of a power of attorney. They think that that gives them um, leave to sell somebody's home or, you know, take some of their money for maybe doing repairs to the house, something like that. In, there are limits on a power of attorney. Um, and also there's been some discussion as to at what point is it okay for someone with dementia to agree to a power of attorney? And what do you do if the person has already progressed to a certain point where they really don't understand what's being said to them? Well, you've asked a couple of questions that are all uh, <laughs> they're all in the same room, and you asked a, a couple of different doors into the same the same room. And maybe the the best way to sort of because uh, I, I could tie them all together. You started with, well, when somebody has a new problem, you know, a diagnosis, what, where do you start? Um, because all of those things that you just talked about are part of the things that a family and their advisor needs to, to think about. Really, the first question is, are we looking to support this person or do we need to protect this person? And, and here's what I mean by that. Are we looking to find a way to give some assistance to help share some of this person's authority so they can focus on their personal needs or, or maybe lessen their burdens, but do what they want and give them some assistance? And that's what powers of attorney are for. They're not intended to be, you're in charge of my affairs. You do what you want based on your judgment. 
it's I need your help. And within the scope of what I ask you to do for me, I'd like you to use that to help ease my burden. The other situation may be we have a person who let's let's start with a clear example of somebody who absolutely does not have capacity. Maybe they're uh, they've they're in a coma because of a car accident, or we've got a uh, a, a child with an intellectual uh, disability and could be taken advantage of or exploited. Um, this is where we talk about protection, where we may have to have a court order put in place that. Uh, limits a person's ability to be taken advantage of and have some court supervision where we really are saying you're now in a position of having to make decisions for this person and you're going to have to use your own judgment. Now, the focus is always what's in the best interest of the person you're helping. It's never about you. It's always about the person. But there's a big difference between saying um, our, our client or our principal no longer can handle these things, no longer has the authority to make these decisions, and we're going to appoint someone else to do it. That's pretty heavy-handed. And frankly, it you know involves limiting people's constitutional rights. And we only want to do that if we absolutely have to. The other situation is, well, what can we do to help support? And the, the question that you, you raise here is, well, sometimes folks don't get the difference, right? Well, I, if I've got a power attorney, I'm the captain of the ship. I'm in charge. No, you're not. You're right. you're there to you know support a person. The difference may be: does the patient or the client have the capacity to grant it? And you know, this is a pretty easy notion to grasp. Do you understand what you're doing? Do you know who you are? Do you know who this person is that you trust? And do you understand the nature of the power that you're giving to this person? You can go and open and close my bank accounts and sell my investments and move them to a different investment house or sell my house and, and use those funds to help pay for some additional care. And if a person doesn't understand the the positives and the negative potential consequences, then we would say that person doesn't have authority to grant uh, a power of attorney. We might have to resort to uh, asking a court for help. So Rory, in our case, my, my father really had very little concept of the money that was coming in and the money that was going out because my mother took care of all that for basically their whole married life. That sounds familiar. When he came to live with us, he said, I want you to take care of the finances and make sure that everything is taken care of that needs taken care of. Well, because he came to live with us, there was no house to sell or any of that type of stuff. It was basically my mom and dad's checking account and the my portion of the life insurance. As a start, um, I didn't have a whole lot of, say, legal aspects other than we had to get the power of attorney done. And he was very adamant, you take care. And even though I tried to sit down with him a number of times and try to explain things, he would just look at me and say, you know what to do. You know what's best. <laughs> you take care. So I actually had it uh, pretty easy from that perspective. Yeah, not many families are in that are in that position. You're right. And you got to understand, your dad was sick for a very long yes, time he before he came to us yes, with, he was. with mental illness and, and a number of issues. But he also recognized that fact 
Well, can I add a different angle to that? What What about a situation where dad absolutely trusts you implicitly and you're perfectly happy and competent and capable of handling it, but you have a sibling who is suspicious. Exactly. And that happens and so you often. Would, and you'd maybe like dad to not give you such blanket control because you don't want to face accusations at Christmas time or after dad has passed away that you were bullying dad or using undue influence or riding uh, roughshod. Uh, this is the kind of thing that I talk about that, that is now uh, emerging. It isn't just pieces of paper. It's how they work in a family and communicating information can be very important. So if I can give you a quick story about how this worked with my family, I, I mentioned, I laughed earlier when you were talking about how your mom handled all the finances. My dad used to joke, he brought home his paycheck, gave it to my mom. She gave him a hundred dollars and that was it until the next payday. <laughs> she did everything. She filed the taxes and so on. And as she was declining and she saw that she needed some help, um, I took my guidance from her as to what she wanted, and we did a couple of things. One was when the family was together, she told the family what she wanted to do and how she was going to work with me because she didn't want to burden them. She wanted to try to keep doing as much as she could on her own, but she knew she needed some help. And, and she didn't say, I want your vote because it wasn't their business. But she did communicate to them that this was her desire. And frankly, we started with, Rory, you're there and you're to do nothing until I ask you to do anything. Then she asked me, would I help her come and balance the checkbook once a month? Then she asked, would I mind writing the checks so she could sign them and then post them and put them in the mailbox? All the way down to, finally, would you once a month tell me how things are going? I don't even want to see a statement, just, are we okay? And um, I took that lead from my mother to communicate with them. I didn't call and ask for permission to do things, and I didn't say, I feel like I'm under an obligation to account to you. I just said, you know, mom wants everybody to be aware that things are under control, and here's the kinds of things that are, are happening. Um, because that was much more supportive for my mom trying to keep everybody on the same sheet of music. I do admit that we are uh, we're a much more uh, functional family than some. You know, sometimes we see situations where there's actual hostility. Um, but the point is, you got to have a strategy. Uh, you can't just say, well, I've got the piece of paper and I'm going to do it. I say to folks all the time, you can be sued for having brown hair. Uh, it, it doesn't mean they're going to win, but you don't want to have to deal with it. What we want to do is have a way of operating so that uh, people don't feel that they're being exploited or that their loved one isn't being exploited so that we can get to a good outcome for everyone. I say this a lot. Perfect left the room when mom got her diagnosis or when dad had his diagnosis. We're never going to be able to achieve perfect again. What we're trying to do is get the best possible solution that we can. And that always means there's going to be consequences that we have to think through. And this is where experience helps. So let's let's talk about healthcare planning for a moment. 
And how do you work it out with um, who makes the healthcare decisions? What are the important things to discuss with your caree or in your case, your client? Can, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, there are two. Uh, when we're talking about sharing authority uh, or having someone privately plan, you know, we're not having to go to a judge, which is always preferred. Mm-hmm. There are two uh, real focuses, and and sometimes this is uh, lost on people because they're so closely related. Um, one is allowing a person to make some statements and control their own care without the assistance or the intervention of any aides, uh, family members, assistance agents. Um, we used to call those documents living wills. Uh, that terms, pretty confusing. I don't know who the brainiac was who invented that, but uh, you know, the estate planning lawyer talks to a client and says, do you have a last will and testament, or do you have a living will, or do you have a living trust? Hell, you know, most lawyers would be confused by that. So nowadays, we use a phrase called an advanced medical directive, and that's literally what it is. We each have the authority to direct our health care in advance You know, when certain conditions apply, let's say when the doctors have concluded my my death is imminent, many people will say, forget the heroic measures, keep me comfortable and let me pass. And that's not a matter of sharing any authority. That's making it clear to your care providers uh, what you want to have done. Uh, Closely related to that, though, is, well, what if it's not a life or death situation? You've been injured in a car accident. The doctors want to operate on your kidney. Well, they have to have something called informed consent because if they operate on you without appropriate permission, we call that assault and battery, right? Mm -hmm. So we also have the ability to designate people to act for us in certain situations. And so there, and there are a couple of points to, to put here. The, The first one is, that we talk with our clients about what's the line between those. When is it that you want to say, this is my decision, this is what I want done, and this is where I want help. And there are um, some ways to uh, manage that line. It is not a discussion heavy about the law. It's really a discussion that's heavy about personal values. Uh, And the the view of the individual and the people that the that they're going to rely on for help. Uh, and when it comes to the uh, having someone uh, provide some help, there are a couple of things that we do typically end up uh, talking about. One is this question, Mike, that you raised earlier. Uh, are is the agent supposed to do what they think? dad would want to do? Or is this person to use their own judgment? I I really, because if it's the first, if it's the former, well, then you have to have some conversations with your loved one, don't you? To understand what their thoughts are. Uh, I rarely have a person who says, no, 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 I just trust this person's judgment. She's very German. And she likes clear <laughs> rules. I don't want her to be encumbered by what I might think. But my average client says, no, I want my agents to do what they know I want to do first. 
Second, if they don't know what I want to do, they're supposed to do what they think I would want to do. And only when they don't have any idea what I would want to do, that's when they're to use their judgment. Where would you recommend these documents be held? Because I can, I can visualize a situation where there is an advanced directive and there's been a primary caregiver and maybe there's a sibling that lives out of state who says, I don't, I don't agree with that. I want you to keep mom alive regardless. Everything that can be done needs to be done. And there's this big argument between them. Um, where is this document and who at the hospital says, we're going to go with the advanced directive. It, it just seems to me that this could be a horrible situation that would just blast a family apart. Bobby, you are so right. And, you know, in the, in the news, uh, many people are familiar with the Terry Shivo case in Florida. Uh, I live in Virginia. A couple of decades ago, there was a weatherman who lived in Manassas where there was a dispute between his parents and his wife about what to do. Um, I can tell you, so let me give you one brief story to give you a description because these documents do create clear authority and, and the value of them is that they give clear direction to the caregivers about who is the person to make the decision. I am not in favor of a committee because what if somebody's stuck <laughs> yeah. in traffic or out of state and even the families that do get along and are very functional, when you form a committee, they sometimes feel a, a, a feeling to do a lot of due diligence. Well, and let's talk to a second doctor and let's make sure we're exploring everything and that may or may not be in the best interest of, you know, our client who's in the emergency room, you know, bleeding. Um, so I like a clear chain of authority. And the doctors will, in fact, respect that. The law is very clear that they are protected when they take those actions. But I tell my clients, you need to discuss these with your family when you're healthy about this is your desire and you understand it and you know it. You remember I said it a minute ago, you can be sued for having brown hair and none of us want to even be involved in it. Yeah, we know we're going to win, but uh, a doctor wants to help people. You know, she wants to improve people's lives. She doesn't want to be doing depositions. And I was called a few years ago actually to come to a hospital to talk to the mother of uh, a man who was uh, at the very, very end stages of AIDS. He had um, done an advanced medical directive. Uh, he had said, when it's at the end, I don't even want you to talk to my agent. I want you to keep me comfortable and let me pass. And mom was not dealing with it well. Uh, frankly, she was marching around the hallways threatening to sue people if they didn't do every possible thing. They were going to find a cure within a month. They just needed to keep him alive. She was not rational uh, because the emotional toll was just, you know, she was just being crushed under it. 
And the end of the story is I actually went to the hospital and we had a conversation and I showed her the document and I asked her if she recognized the signature. And she said, you know, I know that's a signature. And we talked about this. Um, I just disagree. And but in the end, she said, you know, we talked about this and I know this is what he wanted. And I need to respect him and his judgment not supplant my own. I absolutely think he's wrong. I absolutely think we should do everything. And the fact that you've got a piece of paper here, Mr. Clark, doesn't mean anything to me. And the fact that you tell me it's legally enforceable doesn't mean anything. And the fact that the doctor says it's legally enforceable doesn't mean anything. But the fact that my son told me this is what he wanted to do, I will respect that decision. And so my great laws and the courts and all of that really didn't have anything to do with the, nothing was a substitute for the fact that this young man had a, a hard conversation with his mom, that someday there might be a, a tough decision to be made and that he wanted to make that decision, you know, himself. So again, the practicalities of the real world are the, the law can only take us so far. Imagine the poor situation of the doctors. They absolutely had legal authority to follow the document, yet they had a person in the hallway saying, we're going to sue. And so uh, a little intervention, you know, got us to the right place there. Um, but you'd have to do a little bit more than just have the documents. You do need to communicate with your family to make sure that they understand what your, uh, what your views are and ask for their support. How does the caregiver get the carries to have that conversation, to get to the elder law attorney, to get to the estate planning. Nobody wants to talk about their mortality, typically. Can you give any tips to the listeners about how to bridge that gap to get them into the attorney so everything can be put down on paper so that the family can be notified of their wishes? Are there any tips that you could give? Well, you are uh, you 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 are an experienced advisor for uh, <laughs> caregivers because this is a real practical problem, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, especially when we sense a problem coming, maybe the last thing in the world we want to do is think about our mortality. Here's what I have found in my practice: that most folks. Um, their their number one concern is if they're married protecting their spouse the next concern is not being a burden on their kids uh finally taking care of themselves and i think when there's a crisis in a family or there's a health problem a lot of us who do the loving and the caregiving of course focus on dad and dad's problem Dad, it's about you. Dad, you need to do the responsible thing. Dad, you need to help us. Dad, you need to guide us. And dad may be confused. Dad may be worried. Dad may be sick. Uh, dad may not be. Dad may be in denial. My suggestion is, let's play to our loved ones' strengths. What What's their view about the world? And if their view is, 
I want to make sure my spouse is protected and I'm not a burden on my kids. Dad, I need you to do this for me so that I know how to do this or that so that I can make sure. Now, and it's an act. We all know you're doing it because you love dad and you want to help dad, but we've got to give dad an excuse to focus on doing the right thing. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of times family will get somebody in to come to talk to me because they think they're doing their kids a favor or they're protecting their wife or their husband when they would never do it for themselves because they're in control, they can handle it, or at least they don't want to think about it. So that's my number one suggestion is let's appeal to their sense of protecting their family. And I think that's an amazingly good suggestion. As we wrap up this segment of Roger That, are there any parting words you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yes. I think what we need to be aware of is that in our modern world, with our complexities, um, it's okay to ask for help. Um, Finding a support group, uh, finding somebody who's been through it before, practically, and I'm not talking about the law specifically, I'm just saying in every aspect, you know, I, I, I'm mindful of, I remember the day when I made the decision in the mid-1990s that I was going to abandon my older practice and move to this area, and it was when my son had had his diagnosis of developmental delay and severe anxiety disorder and tics and OCD and ADHD and then eventually autism, and I can remember coming home to my wife one day saying, I spent all day today trying to figure out how we can help Justin. And I'm a lawyer and I have no idea. What is that mom with three kids and two jobs, you know, the single mom, how in the world does she have a chance? And the thing is, we've got to rely on this humanity of ours. We are social creatures. We, we have experience and we can help. And most of us won't force our stories on other people. We don't want to be rude, but the the knowledge, the personal knowledge that's out there, uh, if you find somebody who has been through a similar situation before, be supportive of them. Uh, and because when it comes your time, maybe you can rely on them and then get information. And you might find uh, a short answer to a question, for example, that, well, why don't you talk to your dad about how he needs to help you? That takes 30 seconds instead of uh, visiting a counselor or paying a lawyer or or spending hundreds of dollars or doing research online, um, relying on our human network. What I find in the caregiver support group is exactly what you're talking about, where people who are dealing with it and have dealt with it are sharing their information. Nobody's an expert in dementia, but there's a lot of help and awareness out there. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today, Rory. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was a real a real enjoyable conversation. Uh, I hope uh, I was able to share some things for your listeners that will be helpful to them. I'm sure you did. Thank you so much, Rory. Take care. Boy, Mike, we can never overestimate the importance of protecting seniors and the people we love um, through elder case planning. I remember being in the doctor's office and 
they're asking me if I had a, an advanced directive. And I said, do you only ask that of old people? <laughs> and they said, no, we ask that of everybody because there could be a motorcycle accident or a sudden illness. So it's, it's important for all of us. Yes, it is. And it was interesting. I mean, we, we talked about a number of things. And it might be interesting to have Rory back on because there's probably many, many more things that we could discuss with him. But I think some of the key takeaways um, was the elder law versus the estate planning, where elder law is prior to the end of life, a decade or two before, here's uh, what my wishes are. And then the estate planning, which is after the end of life, what happens to the estate itself. And so that distinction, I think, was very important and probably was, it gave me an aha moment. Oh, absolutely. And, and maybe even some of our listeners. And he also stressed the importance of an advanced medical directive which outlines what the caree wants done and how they want their end of life to be. And I think that's very important. It's something that we don't think about a lot. And also to have that difficult conversation, because it is in fact a difficult conversation to talk about your mortality, dad or mom. And he said that uh, some of the ways that the thought process is take care of my spouse, not wanting to be a burden, and taking care of themselves is probably their last line of thought. That was a really great tip. Absolutely. It was great having Rory on. Absolutely. You can find out more information about Rory on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please, subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, Reviews are very important. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help you. Or if you have a question you'd like for us to address. Or if you'd just like to say hi. Now, to find out more about us or where Bobby will be speaking next, head on over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.